0: All right, M12, how are we doing tonight? Yeah, hey, listen, it's so good to see you guys tonight. And uh, I just want to welcome those of you who are here for the first time. We are just so honored that you would be our guest tonight. And we have a just a little gift for you at the end of our service, so more to come on that in just a few minutes. But hey, listen, last week we started a series called Continuum. And here's the thing about this series is that what we're doing, this is really cool, is that we want to give you guys the opportunity to learn how to read the Bible in a different way. And what we're doing in this series is we're talking about the four plot movements of Scripture. And those are creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. And so last week we talked about creation. And when the world was created, right, right, Nathan did a great job. He talked about how God, or a good God, created a good world, right? And that everything created by God was really, really good. And then he created Adam and Eve, and he said it was very good. And so last week, we talked about the fact that God, whatever God creates, He doesn't make mistakes, And so hopefully you were encouraged last week. Some of you, maybe you have felt in your life, in your, um, you know, middle school journey that you have felt sometimes like a mistake or you have felt sometimes like something was wrong with you. And here's the thing, whatever God creates, he doesn't make mistakes. And so tonight we move to week number two and the second part of the plot movement is the fall. Now, I want you to see this as a quick visual tonight. So, here's the thing. In every great story, and here's the deal, don't don't worry, we're not going back to literature class, okay? But in every great story, there's always a setting, there's always a conflict, and then there's always a resolution, right? And so, what we talked about last week is the fact that in Genesis, right? And you guys can draw this if you want to, but in Genesis 1 and 2, was the creation story. It was when God created everything. And so, forgive me for my jawing, but this is kind of like the earth here. That looks pretty good. Not really. But this is the earth, right? And so God created the heavens and the earth. And he taught, we talked about this last week, that everything God creates, He doesn't make mistakes. And then, what happens, right, is not very, um, well, really, really quickly... After God created the heavens and the earth, Adam and Eve, right, is that conflict came into the picture, or the fall, right? And so, just to kind of symbolize this, we will draw an arrow, if you guys can do that. And if you can't, no problem. But this is kind of representative of the fall, and what we learn in Genesis 3 right, is that there is conflict, that something happens. The good world that God created, that a good God created, something went bad, and that's where we're going to stick to tonight. Now, I want to give you a statement right from the top that I think is going to help you. I think it's going to encourage you, and I've been praying that this truth would just really sit in your heart and soul. Here it is, okay? Our bad does not change his good. Okay? Write that down if you're taking notes. Our bad does not change his good. What I want to talk about tonight is I want to talk about the conflict in the story, the fall of man. You guys know the story. Maybe you don't. Adam and Eve, they were given a rule in the garden, and that rule was, You can eat of any tree in this whole entire place except for this one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from this tree. And something happens. Now, I want to say this. um, If you don't get these four plot movements, then you will not understand the Bible. If you're not paying attention, you need to. Because the truth is, this is all of our story. Every single one of us, what we have in common in this room is that we all fall in line with this story. It is a bigger story, as we learned about last week, and we kind of come into the middle of it, right? God's bigger story, we are included in that. And what I want to do tonight is I want to play a video. It's about a 10 minute video, and it's going to kind of take us through the story of the conflict or of. The fall. And what I want to ask you to do is, I want to ask you to pay attention. I want to ask you to listen and be respectful of the people that are you're sitting around, the people that are in front of you or behind you. And I want you to listen because here's the thing you have to get this part of the story. If you don't get this part of the story, then you miss out on a lot. And so, take about the next 10 minutes watch this video and then I'll come back up and take us take us home check it out
1: a couple months ago my 4-year-old daughter burnt her hand on our stove it's great parenting on my part and of course she's crying like she loses her mind and between her sobs while I'm trying to like calm her down and do stupid person first aid you ever do stupid person first aid you're like oh just put some ice on it. They're like, my arm's broken. You're like, I don't know what to do. Anyway, she keeps asking, Daddy, why does this hurt? And I'm like, you know, I'm feeling bad. Like, baby, you touched the stove. I'm sorry. I probably should have been watching you better. But that answer wasn't good enough. So she's still sobbing. And she asks, why does the stove hurt? And I'm like, well, honey, the stove hurts because the excited molecules on the stove transfer energy at a rapid rate to your hand, damaging the cells it passes through, which causes what we know as a burn, okay? You got that? No, I didn't say that um, because that would have been stupid because that wasn't even the question she was asking in the first place. didn't have anything to do with the details of why this happened. The question she was asking wasn't how it hurt, but why. Why do we hurt anyway? Daddy, why is it possible in my world full of naps and... Stuffed animals endure the explorer with that weird, creepy, talking, monkey, sidekick, best friend. You know what I'm talking about anyway. But something can hurt like this. See, the nature of pain makes us ask why. You know, like on a surface level, the answer to like, these kinds of questions can be easy. Like, why does my eye burn? Because you got toothpaste in it. Why did I get toothpaste in your eye? Because you're stupid. Like you missed your teeth when you were brushing them. But look, some of them are easy to figure out, but some of them aren't. Answers to questions about why when it comes to divorce and sickness and death, getting made fun of, being rejected, hating yourself, failing at something, or just living in a world where there's slavery and murder, oppression, poverty, sweatshops, kids with no parents and genocide. Those are the tougher questions to answer. Look, Even if you've never experienced any of those things personally, you know they exist. And if you think about any of those things long enough, you just can't help but voice the questions in all of us. Why? Why, why is it like this? So we said last week that in the beginning, God created this like, magnificent paradise. God didn't create a broken world. He created a good world. And see, knowing that, man, you and I, we can trust God in our pain. But it still doesn't answer the question that comes up in all of our lives. The question my daughter asked, the question we all ask at some point or another, if it all started out so good, how did things end up so bad? So today we're going to go back to the garden where we started and where we're going to pick up the story today. The last thing God created was Adam and Eve, human, humanity, mankind, making them in his own image. And so then God gives them one rule. What, like, they literally had the world at their fingertips. And God's like, hey, you see what I created? Like, this is pretty cool. Isn't it? I did all this. Like, now it's just yours. You know, you just go enjoy it. Do whatever you want, you know? You want to just wrestle an alligator, slide down a giraffe? You know, be my guest. There's just only one thing I ask. Don't eat from that one tree. Yeah, you know, the one that's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that one's just off limits. Just I know you're probably too busy. You're not even going to think about it, but you just trust me on this one, okay? And that seems simple enough, right? But apparently it wasn't that simple because evidently someone did not like what God was up to. And let me just say this real quick. <clears throat> the story's about to get kind of strange, right? Just a little bit weird. Genesis 3, 1 says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? So you, you see what I mean, right? That's that's kind of weird. For one, Does this serpent talk? Like, did all the animals talk back then? If so, what what kind of things did they talk about? You know, hey, I'm a mountain goat. What are you? You know, "I, I, I don't know, but it's just weird. For another thing, why does this serpent care about what God had told Adam and Eve? Why does he just mind his own business and go just do snake things off in the woods? You know, the short answer is there's a lot more going on in this story than these words imply. But this snake isn't the kind of snake that you might come across, you know, hanging from a tree in the woods. But in the story we're about to read, and we encounter that this snake can talk and doesn't just talk but has an objective to create some confusion and permanently like forever disrupt the paradise god had created and his plan whatever weird serpent plan a serpent can come up with was to destroy adam and eve's view of the one who made everything so perfectly so the snake asked did god really say and in that one question, the rule isn't the point, the rule maker is. And in the dialogue that follows this conversation, the snake like so brilliantly does something that changes the course of history forever. He plants uncertainty in the minds of Adam and Eve. Questions like, did God really say that? Why? What, what is God keeping from you? What does he know that you can't? Why is this such a big deal? Why shouldn't you be able to do whatever you want? It's it's a tree. It's fruit. You love trees. You love fruit. What's the big deal? Look, these are not bad questions. They're dangerous ones. The snake didn't present himself as God's enemy, even though he was. He made God out to be the enemy of Adam and Eve. and Man, they fell for it. They ate from the tree. They believed in that God was keeping them from something, that God was too strict, that God wasn't good, that God was the bad guy. They did it because this snake got them to believe that they, the created, knew better than the very creator of the garden they lived in. See, God, with this one rule, he was just asking for their trust. And with one bite, Adam and Eve communicated their lack of trust. You said this, God, but we know better. Genesis describes it this way, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it because that's what guys do. We do whatever girls tell us to do, right? Did you catch that? Eve saw the fruit and that it was desirable for gaining wisdom. In other words, she starts thinking, man, I want to know what wasn't really mine to know. She wanted power that wasn't hers to attain. She wanted to be like God because she believed she knew better than God. So she ate the fruit. Adam ate the fruit too. And then they got what they wanted. Their eyes were open, Scripture tells us. But man, what they saw wasn't what they hoped for. They saw themselves exposed. They realized they were naked and they felt shame. That was the very first sin. And see, look, When I say sin, here's what I mean. I mean that was the very first thing in a very new and perfect world that caused a rift between man and God, between humanity and God. This one decision separated what had been a perfect bond. Everything was perfect, just as God had designed it. It's just this magnificent paradise, this incredible place. There's animals that you can just hang out with, you know? These perfect relationships. And then sin entered the world through the bite of an apple And things fell apart. See, one seemingly insignificant decision and the destination of humanity goes in a direction it was never meant to. In their shame, God shows up. His heart is broken. He's still pursuing them. He's looking for them. Because after all, though the snake had made God out to be one way, he was still the good creator. He still was seeking a relationship with them. And for him to see Adam and Eve his most prized creations attempting to hide from their loving and good creator, man, that had to do with way more than carelessness with a ruler, eating a piece of fruit. God realized that they questioned his heart, his intent, his care for them. With that one bite they had made their choice, they didn't trust God enough. They trusted the snake, but ultimately they trusted themselves more. And because of that, Paradise isn't so perfect anymore. Garden isn't so good anymore. Now it's the birthplace of brokenness in every form we can imagine. In relationships, in health, in creation, everything broke. A separation, a distance, a gap was created between a good God and his good creation. And what follows is is a series of curses and consequences which we still feel the effects of today. Today all a result of the distrust of Adam and Eve. And then Genesis tells us that they had to leave the Garden of Eden. That's why they call what happened in the Garden the fall, because it was like falling off a cliff from paradise into, well, the world as we know it. You see, Adam and Eve didn't eat the fruit because they were hungry. They wanted to be like God. That's sin. See, they were created to have God at the center of their lives, But sin was them saying, I'm going to take God out of the place he deserves, and I'm going to put me there instead. They bailed. They walked away on the relationship. They didn't just break God's rule. They broke his heart. Eating the forbidden fruit was them looking at God and all he was offering to them and going, no thanks. And everything you see now is the result of that decision. See,
0: in students, the the reality, right, is that because of what Adam and Eve did, sin entered the world. Everything that was good, it doesn't change God being good, but everything that he created to be good was now broken. It was now fractured. There was now a problem uh, in the story, in God's big story. And the truth is that oftentimes, When we look at this story, when we look at the the choice that Adam and Eve made, what we see is that they choose their own selfish interests over God's best intentions. See, what happened is that the enemy came to them and he, like Ben said, he made them doubt God. He made something that was so certain and so clear and so crystal clear that they began to doubt, well, did God really, really say what he said? And see, the truth, right, is that we look at a story like this, and what we're meant to see in this story is us. Because oftentimes what happens, what happened for Adam and Eve is that they got to a place where they did not trust in a good God and in a good Creator. And sometimes, because of their fall, because of their failure in the garden, we are faced with the same thing. Sometimes we don't trust God as well. And and when we look at this story, we're meant to see ourselves. And the truth is that we live in a world, we live in a place, we live in a culture that is desperate for its creator. We may not always know that. We may not always sense that. But the truth is that it is desperate to be reconciled to the Creator. We ask, why do things like gossip and disease and divorce and sin and bullying and cancer and all of these types of things hurt in the world and pain in the world and struggle that we go through in the world. And while the Bible doesn't answer it black and white, it all started in the garden. When Adam and Eve chose to eat of that tree of knowledge of good and evil, it brought all of those things into the world because everything that was once good and perfect had now become fractured and flawed. And so when it comes to gossip and hurt, all of those are symptoms of a bigger problem. All of those things are symptoms of of a bigger problem. And, and like he said, man, we were created, you got to get this, we were created to have God at the center. We were created to have God at the core, for God to be the most important, for God to take top priority in our lives. And when that is not the picture that we live by, things get broken. And we all fall into this. None of us are exempt from this. Because we are all faced with the temptations of the world. We're all faced with turning our back on God or not. We're all faced with, will I trust in the creator? Will I trust that he has a plan even when I can't see his plan or see how good he is in this moment or not? And it's a decision that all of us have to make, right? And like he said at the end, sometimes we look back at God and we just say, no thanks. A good God who wants good things for you and for me. And we just kind of look back and say, I'm not interested. Because I trust myself more or I trust what the world tells me more. And we all fall into this. That's why it's called the fall of man. That's why it's a conflict in the story, in God's bigger story. But thank God that it doesn't have to end in that way. See, because I want to remind you of a truth tonight, is that even in the midst of our bad decisions and our bad choices and our bad circumstances and the mistakes that we make, it doesn't change the fact that he is good. Even in my bad and even in your bad, it doesn't change that God is ultimately, eternally good. And so as we leave, as we wrap up, I want to give you two things. One is I want you to remember something tonight. I want you to remember that a good God is still in the picture. Maybe you have forgotten that. You look around the world and sometimes it's fair and it's appropriate and it's reasonable for you to think to yourself, how in the world is there a good God? And I look around the world and all this stuff is happening. And here's the thing. I don't have the answer for that. I can't tell you why you have been dealt the deck of cards that you have been dealt. I I can't answer why maybe you've got somebody in your life who's very sick. I got a text message literally today about a young lady. She's 16 years old, and she's been diagnosed with lymphoma. How do you explain that? There is no explanation for that. But ultimately, we have a choice, and that choice is do we trust that even in the midst of bad, that God is eternally good? And I think we can remember that there's always a good God in the picture. See, Genesis 3, what we read, part of Genesis 3, and I encourage you, maybe when you get home tonight, you read the whole chapter, but Genesis 3 was a very dark day because everything was perfect, and Adam and Eve had fellowship with God, they had fellowship with each other, and then the serpent in his deception and his manipulation came along and messed things up. And as bad as our lives get, we still see evidence of a loving creator showing great mercy to the ones that he loves. Yes, the world we live in is broken. Yes, we will spend our whole lives wondering why do such bad things happen to different people and why is this going on and why did this have to happen and why did that have to happen and why did that have to occur? And listen, if you've ever asked the question why, that's okay. Okay. You're in good company, but you can't allow that why question to draw you away from a good God the way that it did when Adam and Eve chose to believe the serpent over what they knew to be true. But see, even in our questions, if we look hard enough, we will see and we will know and we will believe and we will understand that even in our questions, God has never, ever left us. It's an amazing thing. It's an incredible truth, an incredible reality that God never leaves us, that the Bible says that he will never leave you, he will never forsake you, and even in the midst of our bad, God offered a gift of perfection in Jesus. He offered His Son, Jesus Christ. In the Bible it says, God demonstrates His love for you and for me in that while we still sin, while we still make mistakes that we make, Christ Jesus came and He died for you and for me. Even when we sin, even in our bad, that Christ Jesus would come in His perfection and He would sacrifice His life for you on the cross So even in the midst of the conflict in the story, right, God's story doesn't end here. And next week, we get to talk about, I would say, the best part, the resolution. Because in every story, there's a setting. In every story, there's a conflict. And in every single story, there is an ultimate resolution. There is a hero that comes in and changes the game and we get to talk about that next week. And I'm just going to tell you, tell you from the get-go, next Wednesday night, there may be some of you in this room right now, you've never said yes to Jesus Christ. Maybe the story of God has never made sense to you. And next Wednesday night, we are going to talk about what Jesus has to do with all of this. How did Jesus, how was Jesus, how is Jesus ultimately the resolution to a story that started off really, really good and then went really, really bad. But because of Jesus, he changed the game. In the Bible, it says this. It says, God made him being Jesus Christ. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. In other words, God sent Jesus who was The perfect sacrifice, he had never sinned, he had never done anything wrong. And I understand that is really, really hard for you, for me to imagine. But it's true, he never sinned, he never did anything wrong. And then he went in his perfection to the cross and died on the cross as your sin. So that you and I, because of his perfect sacrifice for us, So that you and I could become the righteousness of God through Jesus. It's powerful. You're going to talk about it tonight in your small group. And here's what I want to encourage you to do. Maybe you need to memorize that passage. That's kind of an action step, a next step, if you will, of tonight. Is that you would memorize 2 Corinthians 5.21. It has meant and it has been an anchor in my life. It has meant so much to me. And here's how we're going to wrap up tonight. Our band's got one more song, and we want to give you guys a chance to respond, but this is how we're going to do it. I don't want you to come to the front of the room. I want you to respond in such a way that you are not focused on anybody in this room. You're not focused on the band. You're not focused on a lyric of a song. You are not focused on anybody else in this entire place other than God. And maybe you're here tonight, you don't know God, and so it's hard for you to focus on God. And I I understand that. And what I would tell you to do is just sit in your seat and maybe just look at the screen and look at the lyrics. But this is what I want to invite you to do. See, the reality is that we talked about a good world that was created by a good God. And tonight, we looked at the fall. We looked at what went wrong. We looked at what messed up this good world. But here's something that is never messed up and never will. God is still good. And His heart towards you and His heart towards me ultimately is good. And I think sometimes it would do you and I really, it would do us some good. It would serve us well if we just sat in the truth of what that passage means. If we just sat for a second in the truth of understanding that God's heart towards us is still good even when we do bad.